Hump Day, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show, but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore, long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on September 10th of 2017 under the headline Grand Ronde Valley. Oregon Trails Eden and Used Ox Dealership. It's a rewriting and thorough re-researching of a much shorter column that was first published in December of 2009. Here we go. Driving through the Grand Ronde Valley today, you likely wouldn't see it as a Garden of Eden. It's nice, of course. The scenery is beautiful, with the Wallawas looming to the northeast and the Blue Mountains to the west. In the spring, it's lush and green and lovely, but you still probably wouldn't call it an earthly paradise. Unless, of course, it was 1845 and you were on the Oregon Trail. The Grand Ronde Valley is basically an oasis, a tiny postage stamp of fertile green tucked into a very large expanse of relatively barren lands, lands that were very hard to live on back in the 1800s. The valley is only about 15 miles wide by 35 long, more or less centered around the modern towns of Legrand and Island City. It's well watered by the Grand Ronde River, and in the 1840s it was covered with grasslands offering plentiful forage for grazing animals, so deer and elk, or wapati as they're actually called, were in particular abundance. It would have been a truly welcome sight for parties of emigrants, more than one of which likely made it to the valley just in time to avoid starvation and disaster, as did the Astorian Overland Party in 1811, all of whom would surely have starved to death had the valley not existed. By the time an emigrant party made it to the Grand Ronde Valley, it had straggled across hundreds of miles of the Great Plains, crossed the Continental Divide in Wyoming, and thrashed through hundreds more miles of Rocky Mountains and the blistering arid Snake River Desert in Idaho, a total of some 1,800 miles if it had started from Independence, Missouri, as most parties did. Depending on the year, it might also have to fend off attacks by hostile groups of Native Americans. So by the time a party got to this tiny, fertile valley, it was typically pretty played out. This was even more applicable to the animals than the people. After all, the people could rest when they needed to, sitting on the wagon while the oxen dragged it up yet another mountain pass. But those oxen, when they got skinny from lack of forage and unhealthy from lack of rest and exhausted from too much work, nothing the emigrants could do or give them on the trail would help them recover. What they needed was a month on good grass with no load. They needed to be pastured. They needed to rest. And that's where the Native Americans of the Grand Ronde Valley could help. For a fee, of course. The Nez Perce, Cayuse, Walla Walla, and Umatilla tribes had no use for oxen except maybe for the occasional bad winter when better meats were unavailable. But they quickly figured out that they could make a lot of money on them. So when an immigrant party would straggle gratefully into the little valley, its members would find the friendly faces of tribe members there to greet them, with an offer they couldn't really refuse. 
Give us two of your underfed, exhausted, played-out oxen, and we'll give you one of our happy, fat, well-fed, ready-to-work models. Then we'll sell you a second healthy, well-fed ox for whatever we can shake you down for, and you'll be ready to take on the next 300 mountainous miles between here and Oregon City. It was the Oregon Trail's one and only used oxen dealership. The tribe members would turn the two trade-in cows loose on the grasslands to graze and rest, and by the time the next year's emigrants arrived, they'd be tanned, rested, and ready to finish their journey, pulling a new emigrant's wagon. Of course, nobody was forcing anybody to take this deal. Emigrants were free to keep their skinny, exhausted animals if they wanted, or to stay in the valley long enough to get them back into working order. But to do that, they'd have to plan a long stay in the valley, a month or more. And that would mean winter would probably catch them crossing the Blue Mountains or the Cascades, which was not a pleasant thing to contemplate. It was a classic win-win situation. Emigrant parties whose livestock would never have pulled through got a fresh set, and tribes got a nice source of trade goods plus a supply of emergency food for the winter. With the demand for their inventory, the Native Americans could charge almost anything they liked for their fresh oxen. The wonder isn't that they marked them up 100%, but that they didn't mark them up more. Of course, that didn't stop some of the emigrants grumbling about it. Quote, The Nez Perce can beat a Yankee peddler in a trade, one exasperated and out-of-pocket emigrant groused. Key sources in this story have included works by Bill Gulick, the anonymous writer of An Illustrated History of Union in Wallowa Counties, published in 1902, and OregonHistoryProject.org. Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulplet Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of Offbeat Oregon History come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. Bye.